Welcome to Deep Dives with ISPU, a podcast by the Institute for Social Policy and Understanding. On today's episode, ISPU's Petra Al-Sufi is joined by Juhi Tahir, co-founder and executive director of Masen, an organization that provides programs and services to improve the experience within mosques and engender positive communities for those with disabilities. In March 2022, ISPU went through a staff inclusivity and sensitivity training, an assessment of our materials, and more with help from the Muslim team. And we are honored to now be a Muslim certified nonprofit organization able to provide services and accommodations for those with special needs. For more information, visit ISPU.org backslash accessibility. Now, please enjoy Petra's conversation with Juhi Tahir on this episode of Deep Dives with ISPU. My name is Petra Al-Sufi, and I'm the Outreach and Partnerships Manager at ISPU. On today's episode of Deep Dives with ISPU, I'm joined by Juhi Tahir, Executive Director and Co-Founder of Mahsin, for a conversation about disabilities and accessibility in American Muslim communities. Welcome to our podcast, Joey. Thanks so much for having me. So let's start off the conversation. Um, what inspired you to co-found Muhsin and what your connection with this work? Well, truly, it's a labor of love. And when I say that, it's because probably one of the most important roles of my life um, has been that of a mother. You know, as, as a career woman, as someone who spent a large part of my life working on, on several other causes, Nothing was more important to me than when I found out my second daughter was diagnosed with autism. She's on the autism spectrum. She truly was the inspiration for me to start this work. I was in the field of sales and marketing. I was in in another role. And as she grew up, I started to realize that we felt as a family quite isolated And that isolation was specifically from the Muslim community or from accessing my community due to just like a lack of awareness and a lack of understanding. And more than anything, I had that feeling that our family couldn't be the only family living with someone with a disability. And where were all these people? And, you know, truly, she has been my inspiration in this work. But having said that, you know, being more than seven, almost eight years into um, the journey with with our organization, Mohsen, I see I see the benefit for so many more families like ours and the impact of the work and and, and why we started what we started from the ground up. I could relate to that so much uh, with, a, with a family member who have a disability, definitely connect with that. And your experience and mine are not unique. Uh, actually, in, t- in our 2000, in our 2020 American Muslim poll, we found that one in three American Muslim families have or has an immediate family member with a disability, which is roughly the same as every other faith community uh, we studied. So given this high number, what would you like American Muslims to know about those individuals with disabilities? And what are some of the practices whether it's at the individual, community, or structural level that you would like to see more of to better accommodate families and individuals? Yes. So with those statistics, you can imagine it's it's staggering to know that probably every single person listening has some interaction with someone with a disability, has someone in their family or extended family uh, that lives with special needs. And what 
has become so important with the work that Mohsin does is understanding and listening to those community members. And when we first started, we wanted to assess what the needs were. You know, I wasn't going to base everything on what my family needed, because as you said, each family is different and our experience may have a lot of similarities, but our needs could be different. So the structure that was put into place and the programs that were put into place with Mohsin were based on feedback from the community. A lot of times places of worship do not understand what it takes to accommodate for individuals with special needs. We live in a society where we know the American Disability Act, the ADA, and what that requires people to do um, in public places. Uh, yeah, you need the parking space that's accessible outside. You need the lowered sidewalk or the ramp for people to get in. But what do you do with them once they get in the building? And that's what we wanted to address because that was my isolation for so many years was how do I access the community and be included and have my child be included and be a part of the programming and have accommodations put into place for her once she's within the community. And so the structure and the platform of Mohsin became just that. It became the answer to how do we attend services at the mosque? How do we attend lectures and classes at the mosque and or outside the mosque at conventions at other organized you know places where where one would go and and they would want to be a part of a conference um how do we make this more accessible for everyone so whether you have for example an adult say there's an adult living with with disabilities and they are hard of hearing or deaf or you have a family who has a child who has down syndrome or autism the needs are going to be different, but what Mohsin provided was this kind of overriding um, nonprofit organization that just didn't exist before in the Muslim community that was able to serve the needs of children and adults, whether intellectual, mental, you know, cognitive, uh, physical disability. And so that adult that I spoke of that was deaf, he wants to attend programming at his center, uh, but there was no sign language for him. And so Mohsen started to provide sign language interpreters across the country because this was a need and it just, there was no platform before that really was kind of the place where you would go to say, well, where would I be able to find sign language interpreters? Those who wanted to do it individually, I'm sure they did, but we could advocate for our community as a whole and say, hey, we can provide that. Similarly, if someone is blind and they need access to material, we partnered with people who make holy books in Braille. So the Braille Quran is available, in, you know, now through Muslim and through our partners. And for those children who want to access community, the most difficult thing was the teasing and the stares and the not understanding. And a lot of these families were, were stigmatized by it, myself included. We felt that if we brought our, our child into that environment, it would be very hurtful. And there were many times that it was hurtful. And we've heard from families across the country who've had similar experiences where it wasn't, a, it wasn't coming from a place of malice. It was just people were not aware that these individuals, it's okay to have them be in the mosque. And it's okay. They're part of our community and our society, but just how to accommodate. So if a child, um, say, for example, with autism was having sensory issues and making a lot of noise, Perhaps that mosque could provide a quiet room or a family room where the parents could still attend the services, listen, be a part of the community program, yet 
that child had a safe space where they could go, where their needs were going to be met. And a lot of the the work and the training of volunteers and, you know, a lot of the, the support services that come in are all a fruit of us just asking the community what they wanted. And so the statistics are there. The, the number of families is just staggering. And I can gratefully say that through the years that Mawson has been on the ground with our grassroots programs, a lot more families are coming out of the woodworks and that isolation is slowly starting to, to disappear. We have a lot of work to do still, but there are families that are truly benefiting and seeing and feeling confident because they're seeing other families just like them and they're seeing the supports. And what we've noticed over the years with Mawson has been that there are families who actually are starting to see that they're not alone. They feel more confident. They see more families coming out of the woodworks and out of that isolation that I described. We, in fact, have caregiver support groups with licensed professionals present where people like me, a caregiver of someone with special needs, can attend a support group with others who are living similar challenges. And that has been, um, you know, one of the true successes of, of the work we're doing in bringing people back in to more inclusive, welcoming communities. In ISVU's American Muslim Poll, roughly three out of four people in all faith communities, including Muslims, thought they're doing enough to accommodate families with, uh, with, the, with special need or with disabilities. Um, yet Mohsen did a survey with, with families uh, that have special needs and disabilities, and the, the feeling wasn't exactly the same. They didn't think there was enough accommodation. Can you speak a little bit on why this disconnect exists or why this different understanding exists in, in how we can help kind of bridge that gap a little bit? Sure. And first of all, I have to say, we so appreciate the work of ISPU because before the study that ISPU took on or the questions that ISPU posed about Muslims living with disabilities, very, very little work has been done uh, at the community level. So we do appreciate being included in, in those polls. The, the disconnect, if we want to say, it comes in because, you know, we're, we're talking to people who specifically are patrons of Muslim. They are participants in our programs. And, you know, the general Muslim population might say, yeah, yeah, of course, we're a very welcoming community. And, and I would agree with that. However, it takes a little bit of a deeper, richer understanding to really define what welcoming means. If there is a mosque setting or a community setting where people are saying, everyone is welcome, come all, that's fine. And that's what's reported because we do not discriminate. We do not say, you know, this is only for these type of people or not those types of people. But when we talked about it with people who were living with special needs and their family members, we were asking them to rank how welcome and accommodated were their family member. And on a scale of one to 10, the average response was 5.5 as being, you know, not so welcome, not so unwelcome, kind of in the middle. And when we dug deeper to ask about supports and things, we were really told that there were a lot of challenges and issues in, you know, other studies that I cite um, where, you know, people were interviewed in in open-ended questions. I would say we found that actually a large, a large amount of families have faced some sort of discrimination, have faced some sort of unpleasant comments when they accessed the community. And so 
that's where we wanted to know why, what happened, what can we do? I do want to point out that of the people we spoke to, almost 70% who responded to the Mohsen needs assessment had developmental disabilities. So you could almost say sometimes when there's a physical disability, it's so much more apparent people understand it better. However, when you're dealing with a developmental disability or what we call invisible disabilities, it's almost more stigmatized because there are some actions there and some things that catch people by surprise. And maybe, you know, again, as I mentioned, there's uh, vocalizations or there could be sensory issues or there could be a loss of control and maybe some behavioral issues that come out with some of those disabilities. So a person physically looks just typical, quote unquote, normal. However, um, in the eyes of those who, you know, are fully able. However, when something like this happens, it's, um, it's quite a shock to the community. And so we found the respondents to say a large, you know, number of people that we uh, surveyed said it was it was a developmental disability. And a large percentage of them said that, you know, we're, we're dealing with a lot of children here. 65% of the people who took the Muslim survey said that it was a person in their family who's under the age of 18. And, and you know, we, we saw that there, there were supports requested and things needed, but they said they still had a long way to go. They were not made to feel welcome. And, and, and I know that's very sad, and I know we're working hard to change that, but it doesn't change overnight. This is years and years of perhaps lack of awareness. A little bit of that is um, cultural baggage, I feel. And, and now we have, you know, we're, we're, we're knee deep in it, and we're trying our best to turn that around and change the conversation around disability in our communities. Mohsen have been working for, for some years now in the community, and, and we all have seen changes, alhamdulillah, that came out of it. Can you share a little bit what are some of the significant changes, whether positive or negative, um, that you have observed in, in, in some of the work that still need to be done? A lot of our core programs would point to the changes that have come about on the ground. You know, one of them being the Mohsen Masjid certification or the mosque certification program. This did not exist before. This is the brainchild of our founder, Sheikh Omar Suleiman. We worked together very hard to put together a mosque certification. These are guidelines for these mosques now across the country to say, if you can do this, 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 and this, and it's a checklist of sorts, we will certify that your community is working towards being more welcoming to people with special needs. What's included in that is beyond your physical accessibility, as I said, when you get in the door, it's can you actually do a sermon a few times a year on the importance of this, of this, of this inclusiveness? Can you actually have an awareness event about this? Can you actually dedicate someone on your mosque committee to be responsible for advocating for the special needs community? So I'd say a huge change and a positive change has been bringing the mosque certification program to now we have um, successfully certified over 75 mosques across the country. And I know that's not maybe a huge number compared to the thousands of mosques that we have, but little by little, we are changing those communities and those cities. And we're making people understand the importance of, you know, love for your brother, what you want for yourself. If you want to be able to access these programs, so do they. If you want to be able to attend, you know, um, a prayer service on your holiday, on the Eid holiday, so do they. Let's accommodate for them. 
So that's one of the, the, the biggest changes, I would say, across the country. And then along with that, the Sunday school or weekend school model. One of the things we tackled, and again, as a mother, I have three daughters and, um, and, and two of them had the opportunity to go to like a Sunday school at their mosque or an Islamic weekend school. There was nothing for my daughter. She would watch her sisters go and she'd, you know, kind of look at me and she, I knew had expressed sadness at not being included in that activity. And so at Mosin, we went ahead and started a weekend school program. And I'm pleased to say that 18 cities across the country are taking advantage of that now. And it's a, a very exclusive curriculum. Children are taught one-to-one and uh, they are taught with the supports they need. There are a lot of visuals. There are a lot of manipulative uh, materials. It's actually a very customized program to meet the goals of each individual who's in the program. So that's been a, a, a beautiful success and a change. And, and it came about through, you know, all of these efforts to, to make people feel more included in the community. And I do want to mention, we talk a lot about children, but for the young adult population, in recent years, we've realized that, you know, school supports and government supports and therapies and things like that they kind of, you know, take you on this journey up until a point. And as a parent, a caregiver, people out there listening, educators, you know, that cliff is at the age of 21. You basically fall off the cliff after you hit 21 in terms of, you know, government supports, in terms of education. There are things that go into effect when you're an adult living with disability, but not the intense level of support that you'd have as a child. So now seeing that, you know, with Muslim, we're seeing our population grow and age. What do we do for those individuals that are young adults? So now um, we're piloting two programs in two cities where we have a young adult day program, and they're going to be filled with activities, vocational, life skills, recreational, um, physical activities. Uh, it's, it's a program that's going to provide an enriching day for these individuals who perhaps are not a candidate for college. Perhaps they're not a candidate for competitive employment to go out in the workplace, but we're, you know, we're trying to serve them. We're trying to serve their needs and we're, we're building this program. It's very new. However, these are the types of things that I see as being such a positive change, um, you know, for our community that didn't exist before. And I mean, I've just touched on a few programs, but I do encourage people to go onto the Muslim.org website and, and check out the rest of our programs too, because there are several. And this is actually a great segue to calling people in, in organizations to, to get involved with Mahsin. Um, Do you mind sharing how people could do that and bring these programs to their communities to help promote environment of accessibility and accommodation? Absolutely. We, we're always looking for people to get involved. And, you know, the demand is what drives us and it drives our programs. So obviously for the individual or the family member of someone with special needs, we encourage you to reach out to us, info at muslin.org or visit the M-U-H-S-E-N, muslin.org website. You will see muslin in your community and just drop down and look at all of our programs there. In addition to those individuals, I encourage the general population who's listening in that you can volunteer with Mossin. It's one of the most rewarding, amazing programs that you can volunteer with. We, we're unique in our programs. If you have a little bit of time to spare, um, we ask that you, you know, get involved and, and you can volunteer at one of these weekend school classrooms. You can volunteer at one of our events. Uh, we do a program called Respite Night. Respite is just giving the caregiver a break, a break or a respite. 
And what that looks like is we've just reactivated these after the pandemic um, in our Chicago headquarters where, you know, family members will drop off the individual. And we've had adults, we've had children. We'll do a movie night or we'll do arts and crafts or we'll spend time with that individual so the caregiver can take a break. We need lots of volunteers for the respite program. This is something that is one of the most requested services when we surveyed our families. They want to take a break and anyone else can perhaps leave that individual at home if they don't have special needs or you have a sibling that can watch or you have just a typical uh, child care situation or a babysitter. People with individuals with special needs cannot avail those services. We need specialized care and we do a lot of trainings at the mosque level, at the community level, if you want your youth committees to all be trained on how to interact and care for people with special needs, how to deal with them in the sense that we don't just want this to look like it's a burden because it's really not. Meeting these people, engaging with these people, your life will be enriched. It's just, it's a two-way street in terms of, you know, how rewarding it is. So I encourage people to volunteer with Mosin. You don't need a huge background in disability or in special needs or in education. You just need a really big heart and a willingness to learn and we'll teach you. And I think um, the volunteering aspect is, is one that is, is, is sometimes not seen, but it's, it's hugely important. Our volunteers are the foundation of our organization. And obviously we need your support. We're a nonprofit 501c3 organization. And in order to do these programs, we don't, we don't charge for, for our programs. We don't charge for our services. So we do ask that people support us financially also, but getting involved and finding a chapter near you, finding a local uh, Muslim certified mosque, that would be the first step. And that's all available, like I mentioned, on the website. Juhi, thank you so much for this and for everything that you and Muhsin are doing for every family that have a, a child or an adult with special needs. This is life changing for a lot of people. So I want to thank you for that and thank you and, um, and the organization for all that work. And I hope this is not the last time we're having a conversation around disability in our American Muslim community. Wonderful. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I truly appreciate it. Thank you, Petra and Juhi, for this illuminating conversation on disability and accessibility in American Muslim communities. You can learn more about Muslim and how to get involved with their work at M-U-H- sen.org. For more information on ISPU's accessibility services and how to submit accessibility feedback, visit ispu.org backslash accessibility. Links and additional resources will also be available in this episode's show notes. You can subscribe to Deep Dives with ISPU wherever podcasts are found. You can learn more about the Institute for Social Policy and Understandings Research at ispu.org. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at the ISBU and on Instagram at the underscore ISBU. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode and we'll see you next time.